In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our gospel this morning makes the Holy Family very relatable and very human. It reminds us that though Mary and Joseph, they seem so innocent, so pristine, so perfect in the nativity story, they still have the struggles of life that we all do. Right? And our gospel lesson tends to make an emotional connection with every parent who reads it. Mary and Joseph lose a child, and not just any child, they lose Jesus. And so great anxiety sets in as they wonder where the 12-year-old Jesus could be. Well, if you're a parent, you've had this moment at some point. Right? Your child is hiding somewhere, you don't know where they are, your child has walked off, you can't find them right away. Uh, I've never done this, but maybe you've left a child at a gas station on a trip, you forgot to pick them up after practice or school, right? And you, there's this immediate sense of panic that sets in, I've lost my child, right? And then there's that sense of guilt, you feel that it's all your fault, if you've only been more careful, paid more attention, lock the door, whatever, you all at once feel worried, you feel guilty, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. And so Mary and Joseph feel this way as they journey back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus whom they've forgotten after the Passover. Mary even scolds Jesus. Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Jesus, however, cannot be scolded. In the earliest recorded, the first words we have of Jesus are found in his response to his mother. Why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Well, there's a great deal to be unpacked in those two questions. Right, but the heart of what we're going to unpack here is that we learn that Jesus' whole life is set to accomplish the will of his father. Christ has come to bring to fruition God's plan for creation. That's a simple statement. But what we see in Jesus, even at that young age, is that he's quite aware of what he was born to do. The question Jesus asked of Mary and Joseph then is, why don't they seem to know this? Right? Mary, who gave birth to Jesus as a virgin, whose birth angels announced, whose wise men visited with royal gifts, who fled to Egypt for safety, right? Joseph, who witnessed all of these things only 12 years ago, Jesus is asking them, why are you so anxious? Right? Why is panic set in? If God has sent Christ to fulfill his will, then his will is going to be accomplished. Right? And so we see that Mary and Joseph's anxiety here seems to show a lack of complete trust that God is acting through Christ. Right? And Mary and Joseph's anxiety, they forget. Being caught up in their troubles, they forget who Christ is. Right, and has Mary really forgotten it? So one of the pivotal interactions here is between her and Christ in the scene. Notice what Mary says to Jesus, your father and I, your father and I. Joseph is not Jesus' father. Right, Joseph is a stepfather, a guardian, but not Jesus' father. Mary here does not make that distinction. And so Jesus turns her statement around and says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
It's a gentle reminder to Mary of who he really is. He's the only begotten Son of God the Father. Right? Christ is true God from true God, begotten, not made from all eternity. Who is Jesus? Well, he's fully God. Joseph is not his father. And when Christ sits in the temple, it's there. He's sitting in his father's house. But this gets us to the true heart of the story and why Luke tells us this story. So I know I have a tendency to pick on Bible translations, but here it helps again to understand Jesus' point to talk about a translation issue. In the Greek, Jesus does not actually say, I must be in my father's house. Rather, it says something more like, I must be about my father's things, my father's business, my father's affairs. In any case, it's not necessarily that Jesus is suggesting that he must be in the physical location of the temple. Instead, he means he must be about his father's household affairs. In other words, he must be preparing himself to be accomplishing what his father wants. And what is it that his father wants for him? Here Luke gives us some subtle reminders. Right? Notice that Jesus says, I must be about my father's things. That word again, must be. It's elsewhere translated as it's necessary. It's necessary for me to be about my father's things. Well, Luke is setting us up to make a connection. So in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus famously tells Peter and the disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That's the same word, must be. Jesus must be rejected by the elders, he must be killed, and on the third day he must be raised to life. Right? Just as he says in our gospel, I must be about my father's things. So in the story of the 12-year-old Jesus, all of these things are foreshadowed. Jesus is in Jerusalem among teachers who will later come to reject him and have him arrested. Jesus will be away for three days in Jerusalem until on the third day he is found resurrected from the dead. As a 12-year-old, Jesus is preparing himself for his passion, for his death, for his resurrection. Right? That's his father's business. That's what the son has come into, into the world for, to die for the sake of the world. Right? And, and it might seem just odd to us for Luke to conclude his first two chapters of Jesus' infancy with this story. Because so far we've heard about angels visiting We've heard the story of a miraculous conception and birth. We've heard beautiful songs and poetry. We've heard prophets speaking over Christ in the temple. And now we get this little mundane story about a boy just being forgotten in a public place. Something that's not such a rare occurrence at all. It's happened to a lot of us. So what is Luke up to? Well, Luke is reminding us that in birth, the extraordinary events of Jesus' life and the ordinary activities of Jesus. There's really only one end to Jesus' ministry. Jesus has come to be rejected. He has come to die. Jesus' life and ministry were not first about miracles. They were not first about the appearing of angels, anything like that. Rather, Jesus has come for the cross. And we're reminded that Jesus coming into the world 
was not blind luck. It wasn't fate. It wasn't something that just happened. Jesus' coming into the world has been God's design since the beginning. In Revelation, we're told that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All of history was leading up to God's word becoming flesh, dwelling among us, and dying for us. And all of history is now directed by Christ's death and resurrection. Every event in the Bible, every event in the life of Christ and the Gospels has one ultimate focus, that Christ has come to die for us. That's the heart of Christmas. This is the heart of what we celebrate in Jesus. Christ has come into the world to be about his Father's business. And that business is to bring about the forgiveness of our sins and to reconcile us to our Creator. This is who Christ is. And even these early stories about Jesus, his birth, his childhood, they make this clear. Christ has come to die to restore our relationship to God. And so in our text, at Christmas even, there's a time to ask, what Jesus then are we searching for? Right, we see in Luke 2 that shepherds search for a child that the angels announced to them. We see that Herod searched for Christ to destroy him. We see that wise men searched for a king to worship. We see in the temple that Anna and Simeon searched for a child who was coming to be the Messiah. And now this morning, 12 years later, Mary and Joseph are searching for one they believe to be missing. And in searching for the one they believe to be missing, they've forgotten all the promises of God about this child. They've forgotten who it was that they were really searching for. Who do we search for then when we come to worship Christ? Do we look for the one who will make us feel good about life? Or do we look for the one who will forgive our sins? Do we look for the one who will solve all our problems and make life easier for us amidst all of the troubles and anxieties of life? Or do we search for the one who has died for us and who is the very source of life? Do we search for the one who will validate all of our political choices? Or do we search for the one who is about his father's business? Like Mary and Joseph, all of us are searching. But Christ tells us this truth clearly, that we will find him about his father's business. In other words, we will find him at the cross. We will find him dying for us. We will find him accomplishing the will of his father who loves us. Amen.